Freely expressing. Like, you're not thinking about you being authentic. You're not thinking about you being, about being a yoga teacher. You're not thinking about you being anything. It's just you being, right? It comes when you feel safe. It comes out. High-level athletic activity going on right here. Complex thing. You're doing it, and are you welcoming it, allowing it, or are you excluding it? Is there any resistance to what's happening in this instant, or am I allowing everything to happen? If spirituality is true, and it's about connecting, then any thoughts that you have along the lines of connecting or loving thoughts will move you towards truth. And every thought, every thought you have, if spirituality is true, then the opposite would be egocentricity, or any egocentric thought of you being separate, based on that, must lead you away from truth. That was Philip Urso, co-founder of Live, Love, Teach Yoga Teacher Training School, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey, you guys, it's Jess, and today I bring you an insightful conversation with a man that is no doubt a main contributor in my life's blueprint. From the moment I walked into his class, he was a guiding light in my life, and I'm so excited to share him with you today. He has been the facilitator of my greatest transformation, which truly is for the good of all, and he's been a driving force behind my pursuit to believe in myself, and better yet, my success in relearning how to be myself. I can't say enough about his generosity to share his insight on being relevant, being authentic, and our ability as athletes and masters of our craft to achieve flow states on purpose to reveal great insights and peak performances. So athletes, buckle down, listen up. This podcast is for you. Yoga teachers, do the same thing. All humans alike, you're not going to want to miss this one. So please check out the blog post for this episode to learn more about our talk and to check out the show notes. But before we jump in, I want to thank everyone who left a review for us on iTunes and to remind you of our awesome July giveaway with Zeal Optics. Everyone wins with this giveaway and all you have to do is leave us the Yogi Triathlete podcast a review on iTunes before August 1st. Then send us an email at yogitriathlete at gmail.com or through any of our social outlets, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with a copy of your review and you'll receive a 25% off coupon for any pair of Zeal sunglasses. And one lucky person, one super awesome lucky person is going to receive a free pair of Coda performance glasses. The winner will be announced in the first week of August. Zeal Optics builds the highest quality eyewear for people who live out for outdoor adventure and they are guided by a simple set of beliefs and we love these beliefs. Use less, give back, and explore more. Hands down, they are the best shades on the planet, so wait no longer to start exploring more in your life. Thank you for your support of the show and continue to share your feedback with us so that we can create the optimal listening experience and content for you. So are you ready? Are you buckled in? All right, let's do it. started realizing a lot of not a lot like 95 percent of what all yoga teachers say is irrelevant it's 
It's not minimum relevant words. It's maximum irrelevant words. Mm-hmm. And it's not their fault. It's the way they're trained. And so we sort of said, well, what would happen if you had a studio where the teachers only spoke where, when it was relevant? Relevance has a lot of qualities. One of the essential aspects of vinyasa is it's essentially a timing experience. I mean, there's a lot of timing going on in vinyasa. To be relevant in vinyasa means one aspect means you're on time, which is a totally, you know, that's a totally different concept because all of a sudden that, that got us to see how to reconstruct vinyasa itself. The other things that we, other discoveries we made were around the breath. There's yeah. really huge discoveries around breath. And what we realized was from our own experience and our own practice, for the most part, the students weren't breathing. They, right. were, just, they were just breathing any which way. Right. But we were saying inhale, exhale like crazy, but it didn't matter. They were still just doing whatever they want. They were not doing pranayama. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been practicing for quite some time now, and I always just I loved vinyasa because the way it was explained to me many, many years ago was that it's breath and movement, breath mm. and movement. Like, and so, great. But there was never breath and movement at the same time. I never mm. understood how to breathe, to match that movement, to breathe fully, to, yeah. um, to really control the breath, to really uh, practice that principle of uh, one of the core, core limbs of yoga, which is pranayama. And I, and I really didn't embody that fully until I understood it through the Live, Love, Teach training. There's a lot of lip service that's given to that by yoga teachers. They talk about breathing. They say inhale, exhale. But there's very low probability, if that's all they're doing, that the students are actually going to get the experience of mindfulness that pranayama delivers. So we recognized... First, you, first of all, you can't, if you have a wall of word, you're basically forcing your class, your students, to filter out most of the words. Yeah. Like if you're saying everything you know about, both, about every pose on both sides, or you have a speech for, the, for each pose, I don't know why, I can't figure this out. They've heard you say it. So the question is, why are you saying it again? If your class has heard all these pointers about the pose, why do you keep saying it? Our mission was to see, take it to the extreme and see where it breaks down. So where does minimum relevant words break down? We even got to the point where we were saying chat instead of chaturanga, and that's where it broke down. People would look up and go, what? WTF? So we, we, we broke it down to minimum relevant words, or the minimum number of words that are relevant at that moment, in that moment, really, is what it is. And we don't give alignment cues unless we see they're needed. So what this involves, we say this, we say this to our, when we're teaching our, teaching our teachers about this, if you're going to teach this way, you've got to watch the class like a hawk. And that sounds obvious. Like, that sounds so obvious and ridiculous. But it's so not obvious. All, all, all the teachers from all the different traditions that we've seen, none of the teachers are looking at the class when they come to our practice, when they do practice teaching. A lot of times they're looking at the ceiling. They're looking out the window. They're looking at the floor. They're looking anywhere except at the students. And that's because they're accessing files in their head. When you're accessing the script, you're not seeing a class. Yeah, and, you know, I've been Live, Love, Teach since I started teaching, right? That's, that's the only training I know. And you talk a lot about yoga teachers having a script, and it's almost hard for me to believe that, they would go in, that, that there are teachers out there going in and reading from a script because that just seems, yeah. it, it seems very, very stressful. The birth of that comes from not being trained how to teach, Teachers come to us, and they've been trained, and they say, well, we learned a lot about yoga philosophy, and we learned a lot about the sutras, and we learned about uh, stuff that's almost uh, way out there that may not be helpful, but they never really had any meaningful practice teaching. They really never learned how to teach. 
And so here's the, 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 here's the problem. They're coming to the end of their 200-hour training. Friends or your family might say, I can't wait to take your class. And they go, holy crap. They want to take my class. I, don't, I never even taught any. I didn't even practice teach. I didn't even teach anything. Uh, how am I going to teach a class? I don't know how to do anything. And the, the class, it's, the teachers never prepared them for this moment of truth. And so what happens now is they go, I've got to teach myself how to teach a class. And so that becomes, that's their script. Some people, teachers say they actually wrote it all out. They start going to classes, they tell us, and I did it too. We go to classes and we start trying to remember every f- clever sounding phrase and paste it all together into a whole class. Some people have showed me scripts where they, it's a 28-page script, and it's every single word you say in a class. And think about that. This is a testament to how much they love yoga, really. Because in college or graduate school, were you ever given an assignment to write an hour-long speech and memorize it and then deliver it in front of a lot of people? It's an absurdly difficult thing to imagine doing. Yet that's how anyone who survives the most yoga teacher training, that's what they have to do. And meaningful practice teaching, is it's, there's a lot to it. We've been doing it now for 12 years, learning the ins and outs of how to make practice teaching work because it can be very intimidating. One of the problems we first had was people realized we do a lot of practice teaching, and they were like, I don't want to do practice teaching in front of somebody. But that's just the, the ego and the vulnerability, yeah. you know, that oh, yeah. is so, so scary yeah. to be possibly, like, told that you could do something a little better or yeah, a little bit yeah. more clear or yeah. less words or just differently than, than how, you know, you want to do it right. Right. You want to do it, quote, real quote, right. Yeah. So what we do is we, um, we've, we've learned how to, over the years, how to, how to make it so the practice teaching is um, exhilarating. It's fun. By day three, who wants to go now? I want to, like, everyone raises their hand. I want to go. Or some, at the end of the training, they just, near the end, they just start getting up and starting practice teaching. Oh, they, this, the, like, t- the trainings that I, because I've been to so many of them yeah. over these years, you guys get to a point where you, I mean, you're, kind of, you're still steering the ship, yeah. but there's so much. It's such a co-creation. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's not, okay, Philip knows everything, and you, yeah. we have to do this at this time. I mean, actually, you, don't, you never have a syllabus or a schedule or anything like that with your right. trainings. When you go through our training, especially at the 500-hour level, at the 500-hour level, which is the more advanced level, we say, we don't want you to even know the first word before you start the class. We want you to stand up and see the class. Now, you, you have a sort of a form in your, in your system, but it's in your system. That's all you want. You, and then you just pay attention, and then you, the class creates itself. We don't have a syllabus in our teacher training. We see who's there, and we see where they are, and we, we teach to what we're seeing now. What are their questions about the yoga philosophy? Where are they stuck? Like, we're not just going to jam it down their throat of all this stuff you have to regurgitate. It's where, do you, where are you? What do you think? What do you understand about uh, the sutras, for example? What, what is your thinking around the sutras? What does this mean? And it's a discussion, and, we, and it, it's alive. The, the you're whole doing the is like same that. thing that you're asking them to do in the right. training, and then how that translates. And I've said this to my class before, like when I'm teaching, like, you know, if I say something and, you know, maybe it's like spontaneous laughter or it's like some kind of crazy pose or whatever, it's like, you know, you, got, you guys are hearing the words as I'm hearing the words. Yeah. Right? Like there is, I don't go into these classes with an agenda, and that makes everything so fresh every time you walk in because every class is going to be different. We get a lot of uh, advanced teachers, they come to our 500 hour program, and they sometimes they'll say to us, Why are you here? And they'll say, It's because I don't think I can stand to teach another class. I can't bear to do it again. I'm getting burned out. I mean, you can read a script for 
only so long. Maybe by the time you get to 10,000 times you've read it, maybe 5,000, maybe 1,000 times is too much. It's dreadful, and that's the time they should come to Live, Love, Teach, because you're not going to lose anything. We don't take anything away. All we do is show you how to put it together so you only use your knowledge, your information, when it's relevant. Relevant's a key word. Yeah. Ma- relevant, relevant, relevant. What is relevant means it's on time and it's exactly what's needed then. When I say that every class I teach is different, and, and sometimes that's going to look different in the poses that are called, it's never going to look different in, in the kind of the hill that we climb and then we take them down the other side. Yeah. It's never going to look different in that arc. It's going to look different in the people who are there, what's yeah. relevant in that yeah. moment, what I'm seeing in their bodies, right. you know, the temperature of the room, the experience that, that is being co-created by them yeah. and me. And so that's how it's different. It's not feeling that you have to make up fancy moves to make it a different class, just going in there and being present, doing right. the exact same thing that you're asking them to do right. is how it becomes different and a beautiful creation every so time you walk in. We're doing that in the teacher training, too. That's yeah. part of the teacher training is with the, we're paying attention right. and responding to what we see yep. and giving the answers to what, what is being asked. Where are the questions? You know, yeah. There's no faster learning than when someone has a question. They're ready, ready to learn. It's the opposite of that is, oh, I'm going to give you all this. It's prepackaged. Here's the package. Like it or not. That's got to be, by definition, it's got to be irrelevant. The question is just to watch and see what's going on and to have a dialogue. When a person has a question, you can almost see it in a class. You have an answer. The other aspect of learning that we've, just, we've studied, we've studied some the fastest human learning techniques, and one of them is try it and then get feedback and then try it again right away. So when you go up to practice teach with us, you'll do it, we'll give you feedback, and it won't just be me giving feedback. By the end of the week, I'm not giving feedback anymore. The rest of the team, the other teachers, your peers are giving you feedback. Then you, go, you stay up there and you do it with the feedback as many times as it takes until you get it because that's when you're going to keep it. That's how you right. keep it. And that doesn't mean it's always enjoyable. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's always, oh, this is great. I mean, I've yeah. stood up there shaking. I've mm-hmm. stood up there in tears. I mean, you see all of this stuff. Yeah. But, um, but that's the experience. Like, that's part of the experience. And the, one of the things that I love that you guys don't do, like, you're not going to jump in there and, like, save them. And it's not like you're throwing them out to the wolves either. You're just yeah. allowing them to have their experience. Like for me, it was shedding my, like shedding the, um, I can't say my ego because it still kind of hassles me and hangs around. But, um, but I was living so within it hmm. and I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to be the best. And, um, and so I had to feel the pain of that fall away hmm. In these moments of, you know what, try it this way, you know, and having that interpreted as you're not doing this right, you're not doing, but realizing that it was all coming from a place of everyone in there wanted me to succeed. Right. That's, right? that's very, very painful yeah. for the ego. So I had to allow that to shed. And um, so it's, they're big experiences. I mean, yeah. maybe not everyone, I'm going to speak from my own experience, big, big experience for me to go through this training. I mean, I went in one person and came out just um, a higher level of that person, less weight carrying. I didn't have to carry so much weight mm. around uh, anymore. Yeah, and it's I think not about spirituality isn't about adding things. It's yeah. about taking things away. Oh God. And I'm just yeah. so grateful for it. Like in, in the moments of that pain and discomfort in the end, it always comes out just in this like tray mm. of gratitude that thank you so much. I don't have to walk around with all this pressure with this 28 page script and yeah. do it this way anymore, yeah. the same way, because I'm about to pull my hair out. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's what I love it. You, you teach us um, to tap into our authenticity, which is only found in that present moment. You can't really be authentic. You already are yourself. This is another thing. The authentic voice, the authentic, all that stuff, that comes out when they feel safe. When you're with your friends, you're having a glass of wine, and then you're just freely expressing. Like, you're not thinking about you being authentic. You're not thinking about you being, about being a yoga teacher. You're not thinking about you being anything. It's just you being, right? It comes when you feel safe, it comes out. How do we get that in a teacher training, and how do we get teachers to feel safe when they're teaching? Because it is one of the most, for many teachers, it's one of the most scary things they've ever done or considered doing, you know, to stand up in front of people. What did Seinfeld say about this? He said um, they did a study of the things that people are most afraid of. And the number two thing was dying. The number one thing was speaking in public. Mm. That was the thing that most people are afraid of was speaking in public. Second would be dying. That would be second. (laughs) Second scared. (laughs) So that means at a funeral, Seinfeld said, you would rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's so. This is a terrifying thing. How do you get safe? There's a lot of mistakes that we've learned, we've made, and we've really got it. We think we've got it down now to get people to feel safe when they're standing in practice teaching first, and then safe when they're teaching. And when they feel safe when they're teaching, they don't. They are authentic because they're not thinking about it. Right. They're not trying to be authentic. They're not trying to be anything. In a vinyasa class, in particular, there's peaks and valleys all over the place, and that's a whole other thing we teach. And there's those are fun to inspire the students through the peaks and valleys sometimes you have to intonate use intonation to let people know what's going on so it's not necessarily loud we want to say how is it that when you when something's really important you let people know this is really important this moment in the class is really important so you've got to really let them know that we want it to do the way you do it in your life already you already know how to do that so if you're telling exciting news to your friends like how do you tell that news you're not going to stand up (laughs) and scream at them right it's going to be some way that you, whatever way you do it. Some people, too often it's people get a little louder, which yeah, is normal. I did. I, but, I screamed. I got yeah. a complaint like the first class that I yeah. was bossy and I screamed. And, yeah. um, but I figured it out. Yeah. I figured like it took a little while. Yeah. But, but there's um, a way that you do it. So yeah, there is a way that you do it. Some people already do it. Like, so some people can just say, they, they can get them to do it by saying, by changing the tone to totally different and get the same effect as being louder, but they don't do it that they don't they don't get loud. They would say it more like "just do it," you know, with that kind of a tone. Right. Like you could put an f bomb in the middle of that, you know, like, <laughs> and just the tone. It get people go, "Oh, I'm going to move." It. Yeah, I'm listening. So it's, we all have different. We already have authentic voice. Want to start to recognize it when we're with our friends, when we feel safe. That's who we want to teach the yoga class. Yes, so, not the yoga voice. Right, the yoga teacher voice is. It still shows up. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of been a lot of press around that. I think people are onto it, but yeah, you know, like this is a traditional. Th- this is a, the the thing you see a lot is you go to a class and the teacher's maybe talking to you or somebody and they're talking like this, and then they go, "Oh, it's time for class." Okay, everybody, let's sit in uh, meditation. <laughs> like the, a whole different person. Come. Who's that person? I, I like the person who was talking to me. First. I know, yeah, because you, know? you just—that's all we want to do—is just be treated like a like a human, right? Yeah. Talk to like a human, and you teach us how to talk like humans. Yeah, like it's. Well, it's some, I don't like to say this. People get mad when, it, but you say you know you give me a lot of money and I'll I'll teach you how to be yourself. Right. <laughs> uh, it takes no effort to be you. Right. So what does that mean? It means as soon as you start making an effort to be you, you're not you anymore. You're trying to be, you're being something else, a yoga teacher or some other thing. It also, another, this is Eckhart Tolle, he says it also takes no time to be who you are. That's loaded with the little of teach philosophy. It takes no time. It means 
You are yourself now. You don't, ha- you don't have to repair or fix or do anything. You already are holy you, authentic you, now in this moment. You can't be you in the future when finally all these things happen or regurgitate the past, copying something you did before. That's not you. That's, just re- that's the old you. So it takes no time for you to be you. It takes no effort and it takes no time. Those are good principles. To, they're small little compact things, but once you recognize that, you go, oh, I'm, I, I, already, I can relax. That's half of the uh, equation of getting relaxed in front of people when you're... Yeah, but I mean, what I've learned is like the key, the, the true keys to living this life um, in in presence, in simplicity, in authenticity. Those are small, little, compact phrases. Like it's it doesn't have like it's yeah. overcomplicated in this world, right. and and I think we step out of who we are. We forget who we are because we live in this world where there's these roles. Like that we have to play. Like we're all actors yeah. in this this big Broadway show. Like we're, you know, I'm the parent, I'm the lawyer, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the school bus driver. Yeah. And that we have to do those things really, really well. And I think it's wonderful to find your purpose and to find things that you love and, and all of that. And that's a lot of what this podcast is about is looking at what it is that you're doing in your life and are you finding that love and gratitude mm-hmm. and, um, and yourself in it? Or are you working so hard yeah. to fall into that role and just know that, you know, life isn't always comfortable Hmm. and it's getting, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, and and actually let's start speaking to this is about being, getting comfortable with that uncomfortable. So looking at the classes that we teach here that you, that you teach, this is your studio. We're sitting in Rhode Island power yoga and we just had a class in there and it's a warm day and it's humid out. And then it was even warmer and humid in the class. And, um, I think we were well into the 80 percentile for humidity in there. And, um, I mean, I, I was beads of sweat in Shavasana, you know, we kind of bring these external things in and then we put them in challenging poses. And what is the purpose of all that? So this is all about Mindfulness practices, really. Everything, every single minute of a class in a Live, Love, Teach style is mindfulness is going on. Some kind of pranayama, mostly pranayama, but also body awareness. We make that the most, uh, the centerpiece of, the, of, the, of our teaching. The, the mindfulness is really essential to the whole thing, right? I mean, that's the yeah. transformative piece. It's, when your life falls down around you, it's, nobody's going to give a shit if you can bust out the best warrior one. Right. It's about can you ride that neutral line right. when life is falling down around right. you. So you could meditate in a cave, in a dark, silent cave, and master that, but then be a total train wreck in your life. Our thinking is, and it seems to work, present challenging circumstances in which to practice mindfulness. If you lose mindfulness, which means you go into reactivity or you go into endurance, or you go, you have a, we all have strategies we do when we're overwhelmed. Like, I can do this. Yeah, that's endurance. Yeah, you're not endurance. here. Endurance. Mm-hmm. Endurance means you're in the future. It means I'm, I'm going to make it through and I'll be happy when it's over. You know, like weightlifting weights is classic Shut endurance. Up. I'll just close my eyes and just make it through. It's horrible. You're yeah. not experiencing anything, you're not there. We create challenging classes for very specific purposes so that your meditative mind, your pranayama, is not fragile. Your mindfulness has got some robust quality to it. Like it, it can be counted on and called upon in a stressful cir- circumstance. And that's really useful to people. It's really it's, useful. And without that, you know, it's 
so it's no good when, yeah. if you can't use it when you need it. Again, when somebody rear ends you in a traffic jam, is it going to matter that you can get out of the car and do Warrior 2? Right. Right? To a half moon. Or, that would be an unusual response. <laughs> it would be an unusual response. It would probably break the tension. Yeah. Or are you going to be able to take, like, just, okay, this has happened. Yeah. Now let's take the next step. Right. You talk about getting into that gap between the stimulus and the response. Yeah. The only place you have free will is that space. For most people, there's no access to it. It's stimulation, response, stimulation, response, stimulation, response. Pranayama breaks that cycle. Why? What is breath? It's not just breath. People say it's breathe. It's not just breathing. The, the essential component that makes it work and makes it powerful is Moving your awareness to your breath, moving your awareness to the sensation in your body, moving your awareness away from egocentricity to what's happening now. Your breath happens now, sensation happens now. That's huge. Now your awareness is not on all the impulses and thoughts that the ego is sending you. Right. Now what happens is since you have the space between that stimulation, that, all that egoic stimulation, now you can look at the stimu- that stimulation and go, hmm, no, nah, not today. No, I'm not doing that. Thank you, you cute little bastard, but I'm not doing that. (laughs) And so that's a whole new level of freedom. Because otherwise, it seems like it gives the ego gives you a lot of choices, but the ego choices are all based on I, me, my fear, uh, maintaining myself as a separate autonomous being. It's the opposite of yoga, by the way. The idea of you being a separate autonomous being is the opposite of union, of joining, of connecting. It's separating. It's separation. That all that world, all the egoic world must be, ego means I, separate, set me as a separate entity. And all that is the opposite of yoga, union of yoga, of union, of joining, of connecting. Those two polar opposite places, there's ego and then there's, there's yoga, the joining, of connecting with others, seeing you know, your, your world will change, the way the world looks will change 100%. It, it, I can absolutely attest to it. I can absolutely attest to that. And it's, um, it goes back to, that, um, to yoga teachers that we have to be spiritual, that we have to be right, that we can't mess up. And it's like that's a disconnect. That's a disconnect between the class because we're more similar to the people in our class than we are different. We're not up on a yeah. pedestal because we teach yoga. You know, it's, it's like screwing up in class, calling the wrong foot or something like that, and just moving on, moving yeah. on. Well, not taking it seriously. And not taking yeah. it seriously. But that doesn't mean that the the, um, the ego's not going to come in. That doesn't mean that it's, it's gone forever. Right. It's not. You just see it for what it is. It's not who you are. Right. Well, that's, well, certainly as soon as you start to have a pause between the stimulation it gives and you're not automatically responding to it, now you're watching it. Now you, there's, two of, there's two entities in here. There's this voice that I thought was mine, the ego voice, and then there's this part of me that's watching it now. You have somebody, you know, put their awareness on their breath and then watch, like watch a thought come in. So if yeah. you can watch a thought come in, then those thoughts are not you. Right. It's just a thing that goes by. Byron Katie says, you think that your thoughts are yours, but none of them, they're not your thoughts. They're just thoughts. It takes a little time in practicing to, real, to really appreciate the meaning of that, but it rings true. You go, that's, they're just thoughts going by. They're not, they're not who I am. What I found from this specific type of teaching and, and practicing is that not only do I feel better, every relationship in my life mm. has transformed. It's better, yeah. Because I am, I, that gap for me is so big. Yeah between the stimulus and the response that it's yeah. I can just hang out there for as long right. as I want. See, the ego keeps you blind, keeps us blind by 
uh, blaming all our problems on other people. Right. They're really a, what changed the person that went to the yoga class. What changed? Did, did all the now their life is like yours? Like your life is all the relationships are like happier and better. But did all, so did, for you to be happy? Did all those people have to change? They all did they all change or yeah. did nobody's you, changed? You changed. I changed. Yes, that's the, the ego doesn't want you to see that. That's where the change is. It's not. It's the ego wants you to keep blaming other people for your problems. Right. Like, well, it's uh, I'm unhappy because of that person and that person. And that's it's yep. never the answer. And it's not the yoga teacher who's making you hold warrior two in a 95 degree room. It's your relationship to that experience, right. and right. so that's what we're trying to get to the core right. of. But can't you be teach it with more? Uh, effectiveness if you understand it, what, what it's doing, mm-hmm. what it happens in your mind when you put your awareness on your breath. What happens in your mind? What's going on? What just changed? Right. Th- that, 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 that's the central inquiry of Live, Love, Teach is that. Yeah. And then, then the challenge for us is to teach that, to teach that mon- mindfulness practices or pranayama practices that are effective and they're, they're actually doing them in a commercially successful format. And so, I, and we've put that, we put that all together. It works and it really works. And so, um, I mean, you've taught me so much about the ego and just understanding how it all works, which is really such the transformative piece. But had you always lived your life like mindfully or were you living from, from like a lot of egocentricity at, at points in your life? Still am. <laughs> to make no mistake. <laughs> what brought you, like what brought you to the mat? Like when did this all transform for you? Yeah, I mean, we're still in a body, right? Yeah, so right, right. we're still working on it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't go to yoga. I, I had a, my back hurt and, and all the doctors started to use the word chronic or surgery and I didn't want to hear those words. And people kept saying yoga and I kept ignoring it and finally I went to a yoga class and it, my back felt better right away. So it was physical. It was for a physical thing. And then over the time in the class, I started to get interested in the other, uh, the other teachings and other things, involved, you know, the, the more aspects of yoga. But something about the physical practice, not the physical practice, but the, the um, body awareness that I needed to teach, I think that was... So I had to, my body awareness rapidly improved. What I mean is, and I don't really care about whether my body awareness is good or not, but in being aware of sensation in my body is, is presence because you're... Sensations happening now. You put your awareness on that. It's also relief from egocentricity. So, I mean, a lot of athletes have this ability. I think if you have people who are uh, athletes of any kind, they can transform their whole their whole regimen, their training regimen, and their and their competition to mindfulness the whole time. Like you you prove that right. This is yeah. I yeah. mean, this is what yogi triathletes all about. And yeah. the thing that I say now um, with a hundred percent truth is that I can finish an Ironman, which is a hundred and forty mile race. I can finish that with ease. Now that doesn't mean hmm. that I don't feel pain. Right. That doesn't mean that at all. It just means I've changed my relationship to, you know, do I want? I can make my suffering way right. worse, right? You know, or I can just stay mindful and just ride it from moment to moment. And this, this um, thing about it for athletes is, you know, it takes, it takes discipline to be mindful, you know, to yeah. really stick well, with it. Well, you're dealing with people who already have discipline. So exactly. That you can learn this, is why, yeah. this is why athletes are just so primed for yeah. meditation and yoga. Yeah. The awareness merging with the activity. Yeah. So being That's able flow. to put your yeah. awareness, there's the flow state. Right. And what happens in the flow state? All the most amazing athletic achievements you've ever known or scientific or artistic yes. or whatever or just mundane gardening right <laughs> but all those things it's a flow state i've been studying that too i like yeah i, I love that and i've i've um 
I think that the flow state is initiated by quickly. You can initiate it instantly. There's a lot of things that are people, I think, think, I think of the flow state, first of all, as a spiritual state, not as a state that comes about when you eat the right diet. Or no, I, right I totally or, agree with you, you know. because I think it's beyond body and mind. Yeah, it's right. It's, so it's spiritual state. Yeah. So the spiritual state, it's ha- to, to reach a spiritual state, you have to reach a state of completion. But that sounds daunting and impossible, right? But it only exists now, in this moment. We think it's something outside us that gets us there. A lot of people have a state of completion when they're with their lover. This is all I ever wanted. Right, like I've landed. Yeah, this is it. And that's, that's it. And how does it feel? It feels perfectly safe, and you don't have to prove anything to anybody. And that's a state of completion. And that's how it starts a flow state. That's when it starts. A flow state starts from that point. Now, what goes wrong is the person who felt that in somebody's arms now thinks it came from the other person. I've never felt anything like that before. And that would create neediness. And ego, all it does is make us needy. For another minute, another thing, another thing. An outcome has to happen. We're needy all the time. And that's the opposite of completion. In completion, you have no need, no neediness. So you had that moment with your lover, and now you demand it from her. And now not only now you're never going to get it by demanding, that's by being the most loudly needy you can possibly be. I'm being loudly needy, and give it to me. I want that feeling again. I can't have it. And it's never going to come because your neediness is now exponentially off the charts. Your ego won that battle. Ego wins. Completion comes when you recognize that in this instant you're complete. In a single given instant, in any single given instant, everyone has completion. But they never get it because the ego won't let you have a single instant. It wants you to have a problem that goes on for decades, right? right? Neediness. So that's the first break. And actually, it makes it so that it's the smallest job you could ever ask anyone to do. Because now you don't have to think about your whole life. You just have to think about this instant. And all you do is just take a breath and feel a breath and say, in this instant, do I need anything? And if you're there, the answer is going to always it's be always no. It's always no. It's always yep. no. I don't need anything just for right now. But if you ask me about tomorrow or the next minute or the minute before, yes, I do need stuff to – no, just this in- – that's ego. That's all. So now you go back to this – just this instant, I don't need anything. Just in this instant – I am perfectly safe. Is that true? Yes. Just in this instant, do you need to needy? Do you need to prove anything to anyone? No. Are you complete? Yes. Where did it come from? It came from a decision that you made about this instant. And it's always this instant anyway. There's no escaping that. But the ego gets you off the track by making you go out into your whole life to be complete and over and your and and everything in the world, not just your what's in your awareness, it takes you out. It keeps it away from you, but it's right there every instant. Now you're in. A, now you started a flow state. What happens is you open your eyes from this state, this decision that you made of completion, and you have you have choices to make on how you respond to everything in your awareness. That not everything in the world again, but in this instant by instant, what are you responding to? Everything that comes up in your awareness. So the first thing is to actually notice that your eyes are open and you're awake. You're, you're looking out in the world and this is a flow state this could be you could be doing something you'd be high level athletic activity going on right here complex thing you're doing it and are you welcoming it allowing it or are you excluding it is there any resistance to what's happening in this instant or am i allowing everything to happen that's the first those are the two baby steps any resistance comes to what's happening no flow, no flow. now it's work 
Yep. It, that's the opposite of flow is work. And that's how we do most of our life. It works. It's why it sucks. Right. So then you say, wait a minute, I'm not doing that. I'm, the first step is allowing, uh, you allow it to be. It's a very low level of flow, but you, you keep it alive. Allowing is not flow because I'll allow this to be even though I, I'm suspicious of it. In other words, I'll allow what's happening to go, but it still sucks somehow, I think. I still don't like it. You're suspicious. So it's not quite pure flow. The next step towards flow away from resistance, is welcoming all things in your, resist- in your awareness. Now you go from allowing or accepting, which is suspicious, and you jump to welcoming all things. And then that's a, deep, that's a very deep flow state. Mm-hmm. When you welcome all things, all things welcome you back. And it feel, you, now you feel like you're in flow. Like you, the, uh, the, the awareness of you as a separate entity is disappearing in this moment. You are what's happening. And that's where you get these great insights. The next step is loving all things, which people say what does that mean everyone knows what loving love is everyone knows in their heart what it is and it's and that's that's interactive too that one's interactive it means the instant you love all things all things love you back now you're going into a deeper state of flow so whatever the activity is is really highly intuitive it's just it's you're just an instrument of what's happening almost yep. like i studied uh, michael jordan and I uh, studied all his tapes, and I'm looking at some of his things. And when he's in a flow state, he knows everything that's going on all over the court. He's not looking at it. Like, he's going down the court. He's looking to his left the whole time. Behind his back, f- flips it up. It goes to the rim, and Scottie Pippen's hand just happens to be there. He never looked once anywhere near there. His intuition just expands. Yeah, yeah. It becomes like he... the activity. Yes. So the final state is, that's it. The final state of flow is becoming what is. Everything in your awareness, you start with, Completion, okay, I feel complete. Now I open my eyes, I start to act, run, play tennis or whatever I'm doing, and I'm allowing everything to be. I'm welcoming all things. I'm loving all things, and finally I'm becoming all things. And these, you can jump around the, that scale. That's the way I see it. And the other way you can go is resisting all things. What happens after that? After resistance? Oh, suffering. Right, suffering, just... endurance, I'll endure it. Yep. Um, it goes down to anxiety, starts to... to is part of the, is a symptom of this, and then depression is where it goes. Yep. Depression and shame. What's your experience as a as trying to be in a state of flow? All right, I'm complete now. Oh, I hate that person. Oh, I gotta get. The, I gotta have. This is these are things that take you up. I gotta win. I gotta win this race. That's not allowing all things to be. You're demanding an outcome. Yeah. You're saying it must be this way. Welcoming all things means any outcome is happy, is a good outcome. Whatever outcome is the outcome is the outcome I, I, I want. No, the runner says, the baseball player, the, whatever the athlete says, I have to win, and they're gone. There's no flow. Now it's work. It may be high level of work, but it's not flow. When the ego's in charge, the outcome is only for you, for the benefit of you. When you're in a state of flow, the outcome is for the, for the good of all beings. So what could happen in a state of flow is you could be in a state of flow and performing at this tremendous level, and for the good of all, another person wins because that's exactly on their path what should have happened for, the, for their good and for everyone's good. For the good of all includes you. I mean, I believe that you can get into a state of flow on purpose. I think yeah, a lot of people yeah. think it's by accident, like you right. slip into it, but I think right. you can get into it on purpose. And um, that just because you get into a state of flow doesn't mean that you are going to have your best ri- like right, your right, best right, time right. on the clock that you're going right. to win it does, there's no guarantee but, but as soon as you think it's got to happen yes. flows over right flows over no flow no flow no flow because you've separated yourself from all things so you think of flow as you join the totality of all things in a state of flow you basically join the totality of all things and that's the opposite of you as a separate ego as soon as you have any thoughts that make you separate 
your flow's gone. Right. It's that same or like making life. making deals. Like, okay, I'll do this mindfulness thing, but you know, it's gotta, this, uh, then I'm going to win. This better equal, you yeah. know, me yeah. getting you know getting yeah. my pro card. Right, right, right. Um, right, right. And it, and and that's egocentric that's as never, well. You have no flow. Right. You might get your pro card, but it's going to be hell of a hard work. Being in a state of flow. Being connected to the totality of all things is its own reward. Right. You don't need any more. Like, yeah. how more could you ask for than that? <laughs> Did you not have any more suffering? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're, you're just joyful living. Well, no, I have to win. Yeah. That's what the ego says. And no flow. And now I have to, you're going to have a miserable life. You might actually achieve something by miserable work. But I know. is it – why – would you ever want anything different? I know. And this, this whole, because, I mean, I'm an endurance athlete. I just don't want to call it endurance sports anymore or an endurance athlete anymore because this whole idea of enduring, yeah. it just sets you up for pain and suffering, yeah, you know? And, I'll uh, make it through. Right, yeah. exactly. Suffer, like I, yeah. and, and I do, um, there is this thing about long distance, like triathlon, that, that makes you feel like you have mm-hmm. to feel. And I spent a lot of my life not feeling, yeah. you know, through drugs and alcohol, yeah. through just arming up. And, and so that really, although I was practicing yoga at the time, like prior to becoming a triathlete, triathlon actually took me further first because I had to go beyond to, yeah. to have the experience that I was having in my body. Yeah, I had to go beyond. And then when I, when I, walked into your class I walked into your class um, on my 39th birthday the way that just the words the it wasn't 50 million alignment cues like it was it, there was this intuitive hit that this is going to take me to that same place mm-hmm. like this is this is going to give me the skills because I didn't really know why or how it was happening in triathlon but it was happening I was going beyond body and mind mm-hmm. and then walking into your class I just I knew that that was going to give me the skills to not only do it for myself, but to, to, to teach others. Mm. And that's one thing that we talk about on the, on the podcast a lot um, is um, we give people the how mm. and, the, and the why. How and and why. that's something yeah. that you, that Live Love Teach has really drilled in is the, is the how and the why and not just giving irrelevant alignment cues because you yeah. think you need to speak or, um, or telling them to let go. Well, how? I never knew the how. It would make me crazy. People would say, just relax, just let go. But what they didn't realize is that the moment I sat down, I would literally be ejected off the couch because I couldn't sit in stillness. It was, you had other things to do. To I had, yeah, it was anything but be with myself. Yeah. Anything but be with myself. So I never knew the how yeah. until, um, until I walked into your class that day. Mm. So for you, like, how did you get the, the how? Would you call yourself like a... Like that you were an intellectual? I started out intellectual. I have an appreciation of intellectual, you know, the intellectual mind. What it can do, the intellectual mind, what I think it can do is, the best thing it can do is provide motivation for change. Yeah. If it can understand, if the intellectual mind can, if the intellect can understand how it works, then that, the how. then it will say, well, right, the how. The how. So that's why that's important. The intellect's important because it can create motivation. So I, I understand how it works, so now I have to, I know what to do. Because if that's going to get me, yeah, yeah that's going to yeah. get me out of the suffering. But as soon as you're in the intellectual mind, you're, uh, you're in suffering again. It's, yeah. it's a, so what was the shift for you? A Course in Miracles was a, a book that I spent a lot of time with. In those days, um, a book, book by Mary Ann Williamson was out. No Eckhart Tolle yet. 
Barnes and Noble, the section for spirituality was about like seven books, you know, <laughs> and I had read, I read them all. And I was like, ah, now for what? some reason I had this hunger for this. Uh, another guy was Deepak Chopra. Williamson and Chopra, they all said, they talked about this course in miracles. And I said, oh, I want to go to that course. I wonder where they teach it. Yeah. Where's the school? <laughs> the, the, four, <laughs> the four day, cra- yeah, yeah, the yeah, four day weekend course. And, I'll and be then all one set. day I was there staring at a book called A Course in Miracles. And I, so I th- figured that was and That's about eight sign. inches thick. It's yeah. a big one. It's 1,200 pages. <laughs> but uh, I studied that for 10 years. But uh, if you want to understand spirituality, it's, that's, the, that's the guide to understanding what spirituality is. Spirituality is the opposite of egocentricity, obviously. What, why? What does spirituality teach? It teaches that you are, in essence, a spiritual being connected to all things. Egocentricity teaches that you are all alone in the universe, and you better be afraid. Because yep. they're out to get you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You know. So yeah. what's true? No, it doesn't really matter what's true because the practices at least leave you happier. But that, that premise is the, also the same premise of yoga. Yeah. Yoga teaches that union, that we're connected. That's the truth. Is that truth. So if, if spirituality is true, and it's about connecting, then any thoughts that you have along the lines of connecting or loving thoughts will move you towards truth. And every thought, every thought you have, if spirituality is true, then the opposite would be, egocentricity or any egocentric thought of you being separate based on that must lead you away from truth move you in the direction away from truth the wrong way right you see and it and it is all a choice and i don't think a lot of people understand that that it is a choice that we are we are always making choices and i've been on both sides of the fence i've been in the panic and the fear and the anxiety and the i'm better than and i'm less than and I've been in the freedom, in the flow, yeah. and you know, moving towards love. Um, and um, and I do see that it's there's a choice there, but you have to get into that gap to even see that there's a choice. Right. The ego gives you a, a millions of selfish thoughts, a, egocentric thoughts, you as separate thoughts uh, for your own good only, and it thinks and it convinces you that that's free will. You can yep. choose from all these options that it gives me. It's given me an infinite number of options. So you think that you have free will, but it doesn't allow you to see uh, the other menu, which is loving thoughts, which are one, it's just one simple idea. This, they have infinite variations on, on what's good for you alone. There's only one thought. A loving thought is the only thing that connects us all. They, they, they move you towards, actually into flow. They move you towards flow. Is where they, that's really so why is it so damn delicious to like get everybody on the ego bus and say, you know, this person did this to me and you get everyone on board. Like what? It's so, is it just that? It do doesn't you think, really feel that good. No, it doesn't, but it's no, but so. It, here's the thing. It's a six, the Course in Miracles says that's a six satisfaction. Yeah, it which, is. It's sick because for you to feel good, someone has to lose. Yeah. Think about it. For you to diss somebody, if 10 people dissing one person are all feeling good about themselves because someone, at the cost of someone having to hurt. It's terrible. So someone must hurt, lose, or, 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 or fail for you to feel good. That's sick. And yeah. once you know that, it's hard, to, it's hard to want that for anyone. I know. I mean, it's hard to want to do it. You catch yourself in it going, oh, this is kind of gross. It's sick. It's totally it's gross. Sickness. I used so, to do it. It's totally gross. Yeah, well, you're not the only one. Everyone does it. We all <laughs> fall into it. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an egoic pattern. But just when you see it, you go, oh, I'm doing that thing. Yeah, I um, think it's that just a lot of people don't see it. You know, whatever people are supposed to hear they're going to hear right and that's I think the importance of being in that space of presence as a teacher because when those words do come not pre-planned I know that they're for somebody like it's it just takes the pressure off so it just comes if it's for the good of all so the words come out and 
they're for the good of probably everyone in the room on some level. On some level, they're probably helpful. But who knows? When you're in flow, Eckhart Tolle says you, you don't know what the words are going to be. You only, the, the words come to you. This is Eckhart Tolle. He's pretty cool. The words come to you, but not an instant before they're needed and not an instant after they're needed. For that yoga teacher who is, who's burnt out, who doesn't think they can do it anymore, and you've been teaching yoga for a long time, what's, what's one thing that they could do besides, besides going to Live, Love, Teach right now and signing up for the next training, which is in Texas? Yeah, that's what um, they do. Yeah, they should definitely <laughs> do that. But let's say, let's say that's, that's not going to happen for them, but they're listening and they're like, I, oh, my God, he's talking about me. I'm trying to be a yoga teacher. I'm trying to have the right voice. I'm trying to say the right things. I'm using a memorized script. I'm, I'm constantly parroting people whose classes I go to. You know, what would be one thing that they could do? Um, it's not an easy answer because the reality is they don't know they're doing it. They don't know. If you ask any yoga teacher, do you have a script? They would say no. And then when they get up to teach, it's a script. It's the same thing over and over. It's the same phrases in the same places, the same, and, and it's, it's walled words. So they can't, they can't, it's almost like it's hard to, it's really hard to do it yourself. It takes like really good coaching, that's what coaching is, is yeah. to help them to see what they couldn't see before. And they go, you know, oh, if I could say one thing, I would say, nothing will be taken from you. That's the beauty. They think, I would think if I was them that, they're going to take away all the stuff that I cherish, that I've built up over these years, all, these, all this stuff that I have from all my knowledge. Not one bit of knowledge will be, nothing will be lost, but it will just be put together, put, it'll be used in a way that is relevant. That's perfect. That's it. Right, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for Good being one. here, Philip. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Another episode in your awareness. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Please continue to meet us every week as we release new content and new connections for your life's enrichment and for the good of all, which don't forget includes you. I think that may be my favorite soundbite from the entire show. But please, if you're finding this podcast to be helpful in your life, leave us a review on iTunes and enter yourself to win a sweet pair of Zeal Optics. Keep riding the high vibe and use all your tools to stay in flow.